Welcome to the Communion Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Erin. And I'm Ramonita. Communion is all about relationships over religion. Relationship with Christ, with ourselves, and with one another. And in a culture that seems so divisive, we're cultivating a community of truth seekers from all walks of life. So whether you have faith, no faith, or have walked away from the church, you are welcome here. We're ready to understand, heal, have tough conversations, and rebuild bridges. So let's get started. Let the reconciliation begin. It's better when we get together. Everything is better. Hey, E. Hi, T. How are you? <laughs> I'm tired, but I'm good. How are you? Same, same. It's a long weekend, as you know, with littles stuck in your house. Here in Florida, we get all of Easter week. It's a four-day holiday. So Friday and Monday, my kids are not in school. So if you hear anything in the background, it's because my boys are home having their quiet time right now while mommy's recording. In good old Oregon, you don't get any days. <laughs> you oh. Get oh, I'm very aware. <laughs> so quite the opposite, but I'm tired. <laughs> Tell me about your, your weekend. It was amazing. So if you know me, Everybody that knows me knows I am an extreme extrovert and I come from a big family and a Hispanic one at that. So there are always tons of people in my house and we live in Oregon and I'm from New York. You know, my husband's from California, so we don't have any family here like blood related. And so we've created our own family in the community that we built here. So uh, really early on when we were first dating, when I first moved to Oregon, didn't know a soul. And I remember I was dead broke, like didn't have any money really. I moved out here with just some boxes of clothes and was trying to figure it out. And I had moved out here in September. So come Thanksgiving, when that time rolled around, I had only been out here for maybe six weeks and I hadn't even made enough money yet to fly home because I had to find an apartment and all these other things. And I just remember feeling like, wow, holidays are so big at home and such a huge thing. And here I am. I really don't know anybody. And I don't know, what am I going to do for the holiday? Like some friends of ours invited me to a restaurant the night before. And it was with a lot of people that were transplants or staying for the holiday. And so I was really thankful for that. But I committed at that point to say, you know what, I know I can't be the only one feeling this or, you know, young in my career, moving away from home and not having family and trying to figure out where to go. And so I committed to making sure that transplants would always have a place to spend a holiday or to get a good meal. And I've lived a, a lot of places and moved around a bit in different states. And one of the things that is always like such a gift and such a blessing 
for me to build community or make friends has been, I know how to cook. And because I know how to cook, even if I didn't have a lot of money, I couldn't go out to brunch every weekend. But I could be like, you want to come over for dinner? Or I can organize the heck out of a potluck. I'll tell you, once I figure out what people's specialties are, I know how to round out a menu. That's always been my community building tools. Like, hey, you want to come over for dinner? Hey, you want to come over for a meal? Hey, you want to come over for a Sunday dinner or whatever it is? And so for almost all of our holidays that we've spent here, and I say we, Jeremy and I, we have always hosted Thanksgiving, Easter, 4th of July, Memorial Day cookouts, Christmas Eve, New Year's. That's been a big thing for us is to make sure that nobody has to spend a holiday alone and that we can always break bread and fellowship. And so the pandemic put a little damper on my plans for a couple of years. The thing we don't talk about is although I'm so extroverted, I started to get a little social anxiety, if you will, with the pandemic. And I was a little fearful, especially being a new mom with a little one about COVID and all the things. So it had been a while since we really, really hosted something. And I can finally start to feel that cloud lifting. And my word for this year is reignite. It was really about me finding me again and finding my light again and letting it shine. And I know the spaces that I shine and I know the things that make me just burst with light and make my heart sing. And so I was like, all right, we're doing Easter. I had originally planned it and invited people. And then last minute, other people were like, hey, can I bring this person? Can I bring this person? And so it grew to something I wasn't expecting, but I couldn't have been more thankful because I I just love the energy of filling our home people. I was in the kitchen with my girlfriends yesterday. And it's so nostalgic for me being in the kitchen with my grandma and my aunts and my mom and family friends. And so I was like, man, this is like what? it's all about. And we were able to fellowship and pray with people and over people and break bread and speak life and share Christ. Not everybody this year is proclaiming to be a Christian or that they even have a relationship with Jesus. To me, that's the most beautiful part about it because we get to truly live out the gospel. It was amazing. I just was so tired because I had a sick little one home last week and she it put a little damper on the plans because grocery shopping and cleaning and all of the prepping and everything, she needed my attention. And so it truncated my timeline a little bit. And then as more people got added, I stressed because my biggest fear is running out of food. That's like one of my biggest fears. I was at the grocery store yesterday morning before church, getting more stuff just in case. And now I have way too many leftovers. I think there should be an unofficial leftover party after holidays where people come over and just get dinner. And I even put to-go boxes out because I planned for that. And so we have way too much food. And I just remember yesterday morning talking to one of my friends and I was like, I'm so nervous that we're not going to have enough food. And they're like, you're fine. You have enough food. I was like, it's my biggest fear. And I was like, you know what? I was just reading Matthew and I just read two accounts where Jesus turned the fishes and the loaves to feed thousands. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to trust that it's going to multiply some way and there will be more than enough. And there was. So overall, good weekend. I have some amazing friends. They aren't the greatest cooks, but they love to be on cleanup duty. (laughs) So I walked downstairs this morning and my kitchen was clean and I was like, God bless their souls. Blessed are those that clean the kitchen. Yes. So it's so overall good. I'm just a little tired. Yeah. Yeah. I miss your cooking. 
I got to benefit from that. We TT and I met in something. I don't know. Have we ever talked about supper club before on this? I don't think we've talked about it yet. That's, yeah. But we've we met through John and I, my husband and I. We were longing for community. We were longing for people to explore faith with and know, come to know Jesus better. But we wanted our home to be a place where people could come as they were, regardless of what they believe. Our same vision for communion. But anyway, supper club was a meal. We would break bread together and then we'd talk about life and God and how the two intersect. And whenever it was TT's week to bring the meal, I was most excited because see opposite of TT, I am not a cook. I do not enjoy cooking, but I enjoy partaking in other people's cooking. So I'd <laughs> be the one who would clean somebody's kitchen, but not cook. I bake, but not cook. It isn't enjoyable for me. I didn't grow up cooking and my mom's on it, a person who loves to cook either. It's, it wasn't something that was passed down in my life, but I miss your meals. I miss breaking bread in real life with you. For now, we break bread over Zoom. Good old mana. <laughs> okay, but how was your Easter weekend? Yeah, it was good. Very different than yours. My house was not filled with a ton of people, but last week we talked we had a plan last week to try to launch this podcast and it was just not happening for us. There was too much going on and it was Holy Week. We had also kids sick. TT had kids sick. I had kids sick. Trying to pull it off was just not happening. And so I'm glad that we made the decision that we made to not last week because I think it gave us both time to actually be present with our people, with our families, but also like to contemplate what the week was really all about, especially on Good Friday, Holy Saturday and Resurrection Sunday. So with all that said, it was good. I got to spend lots and lots of time with my kids. The weather was really beautiful through Saturday afternoon. So we got a lot of outside time and then a Northeastern hit the state of Florida. So our weather's looking like the Northwest right now, real gray and windy and rainy. Yep. Just like your background, I look out my window and it looks the same. But with that said, I thought a lot about a lot this weekend. You can't really hit Holy Week and not contemplate a ton when you feel like you can identify so much with Holy Week. There are definitely years where I feel like Easter comes and Easter goes. And with life, there's not a lot that I contemplate besides, thanks, Jesus. I love you. But this year, I felt really in touch with Holy Week in a lot of ways, and specifically the Holy Saturday, because for me, I have felt like I've been in a long Holy Saturday. The anticipation of believing God is birthing something new, that God's resurrecting parts of me that maybe I thought were dead, but it has felt like those parts of me were gone and I'm waiting to see that newness come. And even with our podcast, it's been three years. It's been a long Holy Saturday for us. But a lot of what I was contemplating actually has more to do with community. And so I think this is going to be a great discussion today because I was loving hearing about your Easter and the time that you got to spend with your people. And I also was really jealous that you get that because that is not my reality of where I live. And even though I moved back to where I'm from, I haven't lived here half my life. And so I'm moving back 
to people, some people that I grew up with, but it had been 18 years since I had been in life on life relationship with them. And some of those friendships, like I've mentioned on the episode before, have changed and that's okay. That's what happens. Life changes. But I have felt lonely and I finally recognized the loneliness that I felt was not just unique to the last year, but it's really the last few years from between supper club, having to be put on hold. Sorry, I'm like getting emotional. That was really hard. And John and I got to really process that this weekend, a bit of our whole process of moving to Florida was just so much turmoil involved in that we kind of just had to keep our heads down and we felt like we were just trying to survive. And then I got here and it was a season of rest and feel like God was trying to heal a lot of the parts in our life, a lot of the broken parts and the hurting that we had from losing John's dad to me leaving a career in an organization that I had been a part of for so long and really grieving the ending of that because it wasn't an easy ending and it wasn't actually a smooth ending, unfortunately. And the part that I'm realizing as of late is the grieving of the ending of Supper Club, which was our church. That was our community. That was where we did life with people and pursued Christ with other people. And then friendship. We had our house full on Thursday nights with people from all different walks of life, all different places, some with faith, some with no faith, some that used to follow Jesus, but it's not sure about it. Some that are on fire and like, hey, I love Jesus with all my heart. And it was this beautiful, beautiful space, a lot like the space that you're creating in your home over Easter weekend. And then it felt like it just got pulled from us because we all had Zoom fatigue and we tried to do it over Zoom and it didn't work. And I felt like we were just getting to this place and depth, intimacy of really going for it. And life was not perfect in Supper Club. There was plenty of stuff going on in our lives individually, but we were coming to the table and we were sharing in those things. And then it got ripped from us. And then John and I leave the Northwest and didn't feel like we got to say bye to people because of COVID. And then we come to this place that feels like the desert even though it's the beach, because we didn't have a ton of established friendships. And then to come here, and I told you this when I saw you recently in Portland, how lonely it has felt, but I think I finally put a finger on what has felt lonely. And that is coming to a place where you are known as one person and feeling like you're moving back. And not that I'm different. I've just matured. I've grown. Part of maturing sometimes is changing. And to find spaces and people that are willing to engage in those kind of conversations and not just hold you in a place that you once were, but to believe in the evolution of who we are and how we evolve over time, how we mature over time, how we experience life over time and how that changes the way we view things. That That's become really, really hard. And I feel like there's a surface level a relationship that we can go in depth with people. And as you've said before, my husband and I have a hard time just like sticking with the surface. We're ready to dive deep and we just haven't found those people yet. And I know that building community takes, I'm very aware of that, but it has just felt lonely. And I'm starting to realize whether I'm making it up in my mind or there's been like actions by others that have kind of triggered it. 
I feel like a lot of people don't like me here. And that makes me sad. It makes me really sad because I think that holds me back sometimes from getting to move forward in the direction that I feel like God is asking me to move. And I had a call this morning, which was so timely, with my spiritual director, who was my mentor in Oregon years ago when I first came on staff with Young Life. And I just love her so much. And she asked me three questions today. And I was like, hmm, it really dug into some stuff in me. And I was like, maybe that's what TT and I should talk about today is, is these three questions. And those questions were, what do you think the Lord wants you to receive in your life right now? What do you think he wants to remind you of right now? And when is he asking you to release? And for me, when it comes to community, a lot of my lack of feeling like I have community comes from a place of God actually calling me into really tough work. We've talked about this before. The work that we're trying to do in communion is going to feel lonely at times. It's going to feel controversial at times because we're not going to shy away from the hard stuff. And that's a lonely journey because we know even in our friendship, we're willing to go there, but it's not like we have a ton of spaces where we're able to go there outside of a few friendships. And we feel called to starting this space and opening up this space for people, but it also feels really lonely. And then when you feel like no one likes you, which is not true, but that's the lie that I can believe sometimes is people here don't really like me. I walk into my church a lot of weeks and I feel like no one really wants me there. And that makes me so sad. And that's most likely not true, to be honest with you, but I feel that way. And I know that the enemy has a grand scheme of trying to keep me locked away and suppress who I am, suppress who God has asked me to be because he's threatened. And it works sometimes. I'm just confessing that it works. And I feel like I shrink and I'm really trying to do the work right now to not shrink anymore because that's not me. And it's not true to me. If you know me, you know that I don't like shrink back. I'm full of justice. (laughs) One of the things that we talk about often, and one of the anchor scriptures of how we even got to our mission of reconciliation with God, with self and others, is our anchor scripture when Jesus asks, teach you, what are the greatest commandments of all? Like, there's way too many rules. I had to do just one or two just to get in the kingdom of heaven. What are the commandments? And he responds, first, Love your God with all your heart and all your soul. Like, don't put anyone before God. And then the second greatest commandment of all is love others or your neighbor in some translations as yourself. And here's the one I hearing you talk that is just sitting on my heart is love others as yourself. You're like, I can't walk into this church right now because I feel like people don't like me. And it might not be true. And so that makes me say, sometimes we got to ask the question, do I like me right now? Sometimes we are our harshest critic all the time. I'm my harshest critic. I'm the harshest judge of self. And when I don't like me or I don't love me, I assume others don't as well. Sometimes this is what reconciliation with self looks like. It's going back and affirming ourselves, loving ourselves understanding that we are the workmanship of God's He, Like when he says he knit us in our mother's womb before 
we were even born, he knew us. Every strand on our head is carefully placed. We're fearfully among the, we're made in his image and his likeness. He looked at us and all, everything else he said was good. But when he created human, he, or Adam, he said, very good. Just all of those things of reminding ourselves who we are and that even sometimes the parts of us that we don't like about ourselves were intentionally and strategically chosen. In order for us to be in community and in relationship with other people, we really have to do some reconciliation with self first. Because if we are going to community and looking to be in relationship with other people for validation, for, for credibility, for recognition for affirmation we're gonna live our lives being what people want us to be versus what we who we are and the other thing is we gotta be okay that some people just aren't going to like us today i was in my quiet time and i just remember writing myself a note that says you have to walk boldly you have to be okay with who you are. You have to understand your identity. You have to know who you are in order to do life with others because we can't go into those spaces. It will be built on faulty foundation if we go in there trying to be who we think we think they want us to be versus who we actually are. And that depth, that intimacy, that relationship we're longing for will never come to pass because we're not in the relationship in the right way. And so that's where like, I just look at you Ian. I do want to affirm you that you're wonderful and you're beautiful and you're kind and you're passionate and you have so much to offer the world, but you got to know that to be true for yourself. And I'm telling you this as somebody that's on this journey, everyone knows, I talk about this often that I'm on a search for two specific questions. Who is God? Cause I need to understand his character because I need to understand that he loves me regardless of whoever or whatever is happening in my world. And then I'm, I'm trying to figure out who did he create me to be? Who does he say I am? Who am I to him? And the latter has been a challenge, especially when there's places in us that are unhealed or broken that tell us that we need to people please or we need to Bit, like not be too loud, not be too much, not shine too brightly, not and no, like that. That's not it. We're we're never too much. If we're too much, that's not a us problem. That's a them. Problem. That's why my word is reignite because I'm trying to find that light again. I'm trying to uncover it again because we know how to shine brightly. But I don't want to ever shine in a way that blinds people. I want to shine in a way that illuminates the best in people as well. But I got to believe that that's the type of light I possess. Not that my light is blinding and that I need to find the dimmer switch. And that's what me and my therapist have been even talking about. I've been mad to address comments that I've internalized that make me think I'm too much. And she gave me this book. I have not read it, like, but she recommended it called Playing Big by Tara Moore. And in it, she's like, you need to start by addressing your inner critic. Name it. She had me write a letter to my inner critic. She had me identify it so I know when that inner critic is rising. It's our inner critic that is causing us to write these lies or 
create these narratives or beliefs that people don't like us. And so we got to hush our inner critic. We have to learn to love ourselves. We have to learn to understand that God created us. So it is good. It is very good before we can even enter in relationship. And I do believe wholeheartedly sometimes it requires us to withdraw for a little bit from community. I, I know people say isolation is a trick of the enemy, but there are times when we need to like go into a quiet place and recalibrate. And I do believe that's what happened to me in these last couple of years. I needed to recalibrate so that I could show up in a different way. There were parts of me that I needed to heal so that I could show up in a better way. And God's so graceful in that he still allowed us to have community despite our withdrawing. And and as I'm reading through Matthew, I have circled the amount of times in here that says, and Jesus withdrew, and Jesus withdrew, and Jesus withdrew. He even went to recalibrate and reset and leave the crowd sometimes to just be alone to, to get to quiet his mind enough. And so as you're thinking about community and feeling these things, I don't want it to be a reflection of you or that you aren't good or you're not worthy to be loved or you don't belong, but that I want you to be encouraged. There's space for you to heal and to love you and to affirm yourself and to sit at God's feet and let him speak into who you are so that when he does deliver community, because he will, that you are ready and operating in that evolved place you talk. I receive that and appreciate all of that. One thing that has become really clear for me as I was talking to my spiritual director this morning, who's known me for 15 plus years now, this has been my Achilles heel. This has been the thing that has plagued me for a really long time. And it used to be the stories that are wrote in my head. I would take a thought and make it into a fact and write a story. While I feel like I've gotten way better at silencing that and doing better at that, where I still feel like I struggle and I was like, oh, I'm so frustrated because it's what I've been working on for so long. The lies are, are sneaky. They're sneaky in how they come in. But for me, it's it's far more like actual comments that are made and me learning to just not care anymore in what people are saying. Because for me, it's worrying about the one person in the room that doesn't like you versus the 20 who love you and embrace you for who you are and are encouraging you and, and cheering you on. And that's the difference is doing this work is just you and me. And we don't get to do it face to face in person all the time. And so I don't have my community showing up at my house to be like, how are you doing? Checking in, like what's going on in your life? Like that life on life kind of stuff. Like It feels really isolated. And I do think the Lord wants me to release what other people think of me. And I do think the Lord is saying, hey, and guess what? I am enough. I will affirm you in the areas that you need affirmation. But truly when my spiritual director asked me today, what do you think about yourself? Truly, and I mean this, I'm not like the mask is off. I'm not trying to fake it. I really do believe I'm in the center of what God, who God says I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. So there's confidence in that. And I do love the place that I'm at as far as where I'm at in my curiosity for Christ. I've told you the story before. There's a, a picture of me 
that hangs in my house. My friend Claire gave it to me years and years ago. And that picture was taken of me when I just had two of my boys. And I was speaking at Young Life Camp. And I was like proclaiming the gospel in a brand new but very authentic way than I had ever done it before. It was very authentic to who I really, truly believed Jesus to be. And I remember feeling like a rebel in that. There was a little bit of, and she was calling out like you, and if you're into the Enneagram people, like you Enneagram eight, because I do love a little bit of rebellion within some limits. But I remember feeling like, oh, this is so rebellious in the way I'm going to present the gospel because I'm not presenting it maybe how traditionally people want to talk about it. And I felt really excited about that. And it was true. It was really how I believed Jesus to be. Well, now, four years later, almost five years later, I'm in this totally different place. That doesn't feel rebellious anymore. That was just the beginning stages for me of being able to become curious about Christ again, that Christ was no longer stuck inside this box of how I had always believed in him. But that was the opening of that box for me to really grow curious. And now I feel like I'm in this place full of curiosity of who Christ is and discovering him more and more every single day. But I say all of that because looking at that picture, I'm like, she was free and she lived in this freedom, but she lived in freedom for who she knew God to be in that moment of time. And I am still free to do that now. It just looks different, right? My parameters are different. I don't have a whole crew of people and friends showing up at my house and we're having time to vent and pray and process that stuff's not there. And so it's me and God, Lord, we're doing that right now. And while God's bringing friends slowly, but surely into my life, as you know, depth takes time. It takes time with people. And so for the time being, I feel like the Lord has me in this place of, yes, I want to dig into what is it that I'm not reconciled in myself, but really it's less of my self-belief and more my confusion of my dependency on having other people mm, be a okay. in person. Okay. And I'm having to learn that I can't depend on other people in person to be a part of that journey, but that it has to be me and the Lord. And mm. thank God I have people I can call to process with for the time being. And I am trying to claim and believe God will bring me community eventually. But right now that's not the community that I am doing life with more intimately is over the phone. It's on Zoom. It's not in person. And I have to be content with that. I'm struggling with contentment right now. And I think it's just a reminder that there are seasons when there's too many people in my life and I'm like, oh my God, I'm too full. I need a moment. I need a break. And then there are other moments where it's like, wait, where is everybody? Where did everybody go? It's too quiet. And I love that you talked about Holy Week. On Thursday afternoon, we made a decision not to launch on Good Friday. And I'm not going to lie, that day I was sad. I was frustrated. I was overwhelmed. I was sad. I felt like the enemy continues to attack us in terms of not wanting us to put this out, which I'm assuming then hopefully this is going to be something mighty. This platform becomes something powerful and mighty for the kingdom. But I was frustrated. I was like, people do this every day. Why are there so many obstacles? Or we uncover a new thing we need to know or do every day. And then I just remember Friday, I say, you know what? We're just going to go spend time with God this weekend. Let's be present, which there were multiple times this weekend where I felt God reminded me to be Mary and not Martha, because I can often get that Martha spirit that I have so much to do. Like, how can I sit at God's feet? All of these preparations 
need to happen. I was like, what's most important? Sit at my feet, fellowship. And so there's so many times this weekend where I had to like be reminded of that. And while I was just spending quiet time with the Lord, Friday, I got quiet and put my worship music on and I was worshiping. And I love Maverick City and that's kind of my go-to. But I was like, no, it's Easter weekend. I'm going traditional gospel. I'm going back to... Daryl Coley, when Sunday comes, Kirk Franklin, don't cry. The power is in the blood. I listen to your girl, Cece. And so I'm listening to this playlist and it's just running and I'm driving somewhere. I wasn't even fully listening. It was kind of on and I was just like trying to just continue to stay in that spirit of worship. And this song by Donald Lawrence and Yolanda Adams and the Tri-City Singers comes on called The Best for Last. And I went on my Instagram to talk about this. That morning I woke up frustrated like well today is not the day we're launching and then I just put out my worship music I was like god I know what else to do I'm just gonna go and worship I don't even know words to pray right now but I know how to worship and praise you regardless that's one thing I do know and I just remember this song coming on the best for last that some of the words that I was hearing come out and essentially like it's not over. And I was like, wow, how ironic is this? On Good Friday, I'm listening to the song affirming saying, God saved the best for last. And we're not even close to last yet. And so then I started to think about the moment of Good Friday and what that really means. I tried to put myself into the different characters in the story. Mary, as an example, because I'm a mom, that's immediately where my head goes. And I'm like, how people were grieving, like grieving, weeping. What? They just watched who they proclaimed to be their Messiah, their Savior, brutally nailed to the cross. And all they could feel is grief and anguish, terror, fear. And people went and hid. <laughs> Locked themselves up in a world, basically. And, and all they could feel is that. And then Sunday comes. And the word that was starting in my spirit was, there are things that are dead. There are marriages, careers, identities, families, finances, fertility, whatever it becomes that we assume are dead situations in our lives. But God, without the crucifixion, could God have truly been glorified? It could he have actually fulfilled the promise that he sent and the purpose that he said Jesus to earth for. And it's like, no, even some of those things that are meant to break us, kill us, whatever we think, sometimes they can be on purpose in order for God to get the glory. But even more so, it's a reiteration that we can have hope. We can have hope that Those things may seem dead. We serve a God that can resurrect them on the third day. And third day be a metaphoric. God can do whatever. And that's true for community, for you. I just truly believe that we serve a good God that it ain't over until it's over type of thing. That's where I was contemplating this weekend as I was finding those moments to be like, I know this person is going through this challenging thing. And just submitting that in prayer to say, hey, you're covered. I can't do anything, but what I can do is pray 
pray down the house for you. And so that's what I've just been trying to do. And that the posture I've been trying to sit in is like, God, I see what you've done for me. And I'm thankful in knowing that you can do it for others as well. That's so good. Because it reminds me of something I read yesterday that was talking about the resurrection from Lectia 365. It's the prayer app I use. And it said, when Jesus pushed back his own gravestone on resurrection morning, hope was born into the world. Hope that this Jesus turns even our gravest despair into supernatural joy. And it said earlier, resurrection started with the funeral. A few grieving women carrying the first century equivalent of flowers to a casket, weeping, mourning, grieving. But quickly their grief is turned to joy at a great victory of a God whose love outlives death. The very place of heart-wrenching despair becomes the place of heart-rending joy. And that the idea of things that are dead in a different account of, of the woman at the grave, it says the woman comes to the graveside and the angel appears and says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. Like, why are we looking for life where it's no longer found? And, and I think that's the question of our world. I think that's where our world is. And we spend our time in graveyards and no time in gardens. Mm, come on. We're not going to see a lot of life if we're looking for life in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Yet Jesus was the only place and the only person in the history of the world where when you went to the graveyard, instead of finding a bunch of dead stuff, you you actually found life. Like you oh, found that, that was brought back to life. And so... I think that's the question that I'm contemplating after this Holy Week. I mean, and Holy Week continues, right? Because now is when Jesus is appearing to the disciples. That's kind of where we're at in the journey. But those are the things like, God, what are you resurrecting in me? And then what do I need to put to death? Well, I know sure as hell I'm not supposed to. He's not resurrecting me listening to the lies of the enemy. He's not resurrecting in me. I care for what people think of me. He's wanting that those things to go to death, to be put to death. But I think what God is resurrecting in me is that freedom that I experienced in that picture. So mm-hmm. it, the freedom looks different, but it's freedom nonetheless to feel like, man, I get to not only proclaim Jesus in a way that is like a posture of my knees, like how I genuinely love him and experience him on my day-to-day life, not because of what someone in my life told me to say about Jesus, but genuinely speak from a posture of what I actually believe because it's what I'm experiencing day in and day out. And to get to have the freedom to do that again. And I'm so grateful to God that we have the freedom to get to do that again. And that communion is my outlet to get to do that again. Terry was saying to me, in essence, you're not proclaiming the same to thousands and thousands and thousands of high school kids, but you're going to be proclaiming to hopefully thousands and thousands of people, not for our credit, but honestly, because I want people, I want you, the community listeners to experience Christ authentically again and i want you to be able to feel like you can come to the table and be curious about god again and not even know what you think anymore and that's okay there's a space that's safe for you to be able to go and wrestle with that again and i want to give people that freedom because that's the freedom that i feel like god has given me and and he's called me to bring to others and so as i was reading matthew this morning i think it was matthew 17 or 18 like it talks about faith of a mustard seed and it said, there, there's this man that comes to Jesus and 
he's like, the disciples couldn't heal my son. Can you heal my son? Like all these other things that the disciples after Jesus heals them goes like, why couldn't we drive that demon out of that kid? And Jesus response is because of your little faith for truly, I tell you, if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain move from here to there and, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I just wrote, Ooh, how do I operate in this kind of face? Sometimes I'm just scared, like period. But there's so many times, even when Peter walked out the boat, like you have little faith. And if only you could just believe that it's for you, it's written, my promises are true. But I, what I said I would do, I would do. It, it just requires us to have some, a tiny amount of faith that, that Jesus can turn our situations around. He can resurrect things that life can be found in the graveyard. But when you were talking about that specifically, it jogged my memory of, I was talking to my spiritual mentor two weeks ago and she's been on this kick around Lot and Lot's wife, even more specifically. And she's like, you know what happens when you look backwards? You turn into a pillar of salt. She's like, stop looking to try and find old seasons and resurrect old seasons. She's like, don't you see what God is doing? He's doing a new thing. He's doing a new, there's a new season coming. There's a new season that might, might even be in the last. You, out of everybody, speaking of gardens, you have a green thumb. I do not. And I remember during the pandemic, because I was bored and I needed something to do, and not that I really did, but I told myself I needed something to do. I was like, I want to build a garden. Help me build a garden. And I remember that first year we planted stuff and it grew a little bit, but it was that second year that it blossomed. And so it's like, I didn't have to look at old seasons. The new seasons reaped greater harvest, but in between those seasons, it was barren. There was a pruning that happened. There was the leaves falling off. There was the plants looking like weeds and dead. And then yet a double portion produced. And so future seasons have the potential to be even more fruitful, even greater. Like, yes, you're grieving the supper club in this like sense of, man, we couldn't. But again, there were what, maybe some 12 to 20, depending on the night of us. And to your point, God is birthing a platform in you and now it could be thousands. It could be global versus just in the safety and comfort of our own homes. And so it's like, how do we not look back and turn to a pillar of salt? It's natural for us to grieve seasons. I always think about the Israelites and they're going through the wilderness and mana is just coming down only enough for each day. And they're like, man, you promised us a land of milk and honey. Where's the milk and honey? We should just go back to Egypt and eat the leeks and things they were giving us there because it's better than what. And it's like, you're trying to go back to what you thought when there's something better on the other side of you just endure this season that you're in right now. But without this season, that season cannot happen. Similar to our garden without winter coming and Without the sowing time, we cannot reap a harvest. Man, seasons are hard. Man, they suck. And if only they were just three to four months, like an actual season. But sometimes it could be three to four years or more. But if only we'll endure in that time, then we can reap a double portion. We can reap a harvest that's even greater than what was the former. I always think about this quote that one of my friends, DePaul, says, there's a reason the rear view mirror is this big and the windshield is this big. And he said, because you're not supposed to spend a lot of time looking in the tiny mirror. You're supposed to be focused on what's in front of you in the bigger window. 
And I'm just like, oh, that's so, so good. And so just trying to figure out how to not grieve previous versions of ourselves or previous arenas of our lives and actually look in expectancy of how those seasons are preparing us for the future ones. But in the midst of the rainy season, it's hard not to get seasonal depression. <laughs> it's hard not to think that something could ever grow here again. Or when you look at your plants that look just like sticks right now and to think yet they will blossom again and yet they will reap a great fruit and yet they will reap a good harvest again. It's really, really hard to stay encouraged. Well, and you can look at your garden right now because of your experience. Oh, like even though it looks dead right now, it will reap like a really good harvest in due time because you've seen it happen before. And I think that's why God calls us to remember and to remember the former things. One, to learn from those things, mm -hmm. but two, to remember God's faithfulness in the midst of them too. My question to you is, what do you feel like in your life right now that God's asking you to receive from him? What do you think he's trying to remind you about yourself and what is he asking you to release? So receive, remind, release, are the words. Receive, remind, release. Uh, hmm. Receive would be love uh, in all different forms. Help slash love. I think that comes from loving myself, loving others, loving God, or knowing that I'm loved by God. Yes, it is giving love, but in terms of receiving love, allowing people to love me just because of me, not because what I can do for them or what title I hold or what position I have or how much money or success, just receiving love, period, just because. So that's what I'm receiving. What was the next? What is he reminding me of? Or calling you to remember. I'm going to contradict myself a little bit in terms of looking into previous seasons. But I think reminding me that he's a God of what he did yesterday, he can do today and he can do tomorrow too. And reminding me of his promises. And even if they have not come to pass yet, that he's a faithful God, he's an honest God, he's a true God. And that's where I think reminding me of that he's a God of encore comes in. It's like, do you remember that I've told you I was going to do something before. And do you remember how it came to life? And it was nothing like what you thought it was. And yet it was so much better. And so then I think in this season, it's, do you know what I've spoken to you? And you know, I can do it and I will, it will come to pass. And that's coming to life as like, when I talk about what's lighting up to me in scripture right now is how many times Jesus is like, oh, you have little faith. And so I'm like, no, I don't want to be of little faith. I don't want to be called the little faith. That sucks. I don't want to be that. I want to be a big faith or mustard seed faith in order to believe that God can do it again or that he will keep his word. And so that's what I'm being reminded of right now. And then what is he calling me to release? Mm -hmm. uh, Fear. I knew it. Fear. You cannot walk boldly in faith and keep fear. Fear is one. And then the other one I would say is perfectionism. Hmm. 
it's not always going to look perfect. It's not going to always look pretty. And I got to stop thinking that because it doesn't look perfect, that makes me any less loved. Yeah. Uh, and or judged. I'm a harsher judge for myself than other people. And I think when it doesn't look perfect, people are going to be like, oh my God, can you believe that yesterday we had a house full of people and we had an amazing meal. I tell people dinner was at four. Yeah, we ate at five, 15 or something. And they know me. So you got to tell them four though so that you can have dinner at five. But when they came, I need help and we're setting out stuff. And they didn't expect to walk into a restaurant where there's plated meals and tables and everything's oh. perfect. No. They simply showed up, rolled their sleeves, said, all right, let's go. What needs to be done? Because that's what we do. And every single person said, thank you for greatly hosting us. And thank you for a great meal. And oh my God, thank you. We had so much fun. Are we going to create memories? Those are not words of judgment, but it's me, that critic in my own head. And so I got to release that spirit of perfectionism and the spirit of fear because I want to walk in faith, even if it's crazy sometimes. What about you? I think God wants me to receive having perspective of different people's stories and where people are at. One thing I know to be true about myself and my spiritual director called it out this morning is I do really well learning on the go. I learn about God on the go. I learn about how to do other things on the go. Some people to call it flying by the seat of their pants. I like to call it learning on the go. And so because I have that freedom or because that's how God has wired me, I need to stop and gain some perspective and see things through his lens versus my lens. My lens would be like, I'm really isolated and feel really lonely right now because I don't have a bunch of friends to do life with in person right now. And so how could I ever be successful at anything when I know I'm a people person? I need to have people with me. And yet God's like, but look at my perspective. It's me and you, girl. And I'm help and I'm giving you the perspective. He's helping me have a lens to see people differently than maybe I would have seen them if I had the opinions of my dearest friends in my ear 24-7, seeing things the same, like seeing visually the same thing I'm seeing and going, oh yeah, well, this is what it is, versus no one else's opinion is in the docket. It's just me and the Lord, and he's giving me perspective. So he wants me to receive perspective about myself and about other people, reminding me who I am. I received a word actually right before I went to speak that summer. And I remember that this word that I got over my life and it has felt very true to me was that God has called me to champion light, to shine light where darkness wants to overcome it and to champion that, to fight for it. And he has given me a justice spirit that wants to fight for spaces where light is lacking and I need to be reminded that I have that in me because sometimes I forget and yeah I see God reminding me of it on the spot I'm standing at a worship service for Good Friday that my church puts on at this big outdoor arena and the person sat us we did not choose to go in this spot. This person literally was like, how many people do you have? And they were going to seat us. And they took us all the way to the front, put us on the third row where there was basically no one in front of us in the center. So I was by myself with the rest of the amphitheater all behind me. 
which was God's intention because I couldn't focus or see anyone or what they were thinking. And they were probably not even looking at me or thinking anything. They were there to worship. But I'm remembering standing there, like having this freedom to just worship God. And I was completely unaware of what anyone around me was thinking or saying. And I was going in. And you know, girl, that I love to sing, but I love to worship even more. Like God has given me a voice, not just to proclaim the gospel, but to worship, to sing. And I've stuffed that down. I diminish that. I throw that away. And God's like, as I'm worshiping, I just heard the Lord being like, you hear that? That's my errand. Do you hear that's like, that's her. She knows how to worship me. And just the way that God's just in his sweetness, reminding me who I really am and the pieces of me that I've forgotten or have stuffed away. And God's like, no, no, no. That part's not in the graveyard. That's in the garden. She, that, that's still growing. But sometimes it needs a season of pruning. Sometimes it needs a season of what's going to seem like it's never going to uproot again. But I feel like there's all these things in my life that God's uprooting and reminding me mm-hmm. of the mill. And then lots to release what others think of me or what I perceive others think of me. That's the enemy. Whether people think I'm crazy or i mean crazy that's such a general word but you know because i'm willing to engage in really hard conversations or if i see something that doesn't seem right i'm willing to have the hard conversation with people about it and say hey that doesn't seem right and not sweep it under the rug then i feel like i'm this controversial person because people aren't maybe used to people confronting stuff in their life and so then i am perceiving all those people don't like me i'm like who cares i would not have been content not doing that because then I would have stuffed myself. Then I would have dimmed my light. Then I would have gone against what God asked me to do. So those would be my things. We got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. And this is say, let the reconciliation begin. Maybe we should say, let it keep going. Let it keep going. Let it keep going. It's a work in progress. It is. It's not a good episode. Coming out of Easter... All we can say is thank God for God and Jesus and that we are saved. Yeah. That we don't have to figure it out alone and that we have a savior and a God and a father that loves us so much that he will fight these battles for us and give us the wisdom along the way. And so I'm not sure when. This podcast is coming out, but I'm so, so happy that God's hand is on it. Yep. Me too, girl. With that being said, we love y'all. Hope that you're listening on our next episode. Yep. Let the reconciliation begin. (laughs) Or keep Keep going. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening today. Want to stay up to date with our episodes? Then subscribe to our podcast and newsletter on our website, come-union.com. Follow us on Instagram at come.union. Rather watch our podcast? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel at come underscore union. We are so glad you're a part of this community.